Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. is available for Monday the 11th of January 2021 with me Daniel Ruiz Tyson episode 303 hope you're all healthy and doing what you need to be doing to keep yourself going he says from uh, tier 4 London where it's going to be almost impossible to stay one step ahead of this ghost I just don't see how we can do it. It's not to be defeatist. I'll go into this uh, later in the show, but you just think this is one hell of an opponent. Let me just see if I can move this microphone arm closer to me. Clay Lowe and I, we were talking about our microphone droop, respective microphone droops. The mics we have are so heavy and the arms that we have to hold the mics are not really strong enough, and that's a problem I'm having. I think it causes problems with my levels, though I have been reading quite a bit on how to record once you've finally got all the uh, proper equipment that I finally got around to getting after more than a decade of podcasting. And uh, the advice does seem to be don't be obsessed with recording everything loud. You can do the work in post-production. The thing, of course, is that is what I hate about podcasting is the post-production. That is something that makes me feel so lonely, I have to say. it's It goes right back to the very first podcast I was involved with, living in that hotel where you could only get Wi-Fi in the basement, and I'd be down there, and there was always this young German guy in the background on the phone talking uh, essentially about himself on the phone to whoever he was talking to, various calls he would make. And, uh, you know, I can't criticize him because I've probably spent the last 10 years doing that with my podcast work, talking about myself. But it was the only place where I could get a Wi-Fi connection and I was trying to get to grips with learning how to edit and produce podcasts. And I was so taken aback by how much work and all the hours involved. And 10, 11 years on, Although I can do it, and I can do it fairly easily now, and I know what I'm doing, the hours involved haven't changed. I think it's one of those things where, you know, there you go, you can hear a dog. No police siren yet, you can hear a dog um, across the road from a vet. So that's another thing, I think, uh, potential um, or prospective podcasters ought to bear in mind, don't live on a main road and don't live anywhere near Rivets because you will get a lot of little yappy dogs. Now, where was I? Yes, I think that when you're learning something, learning how to do something, it can take a long time. When you've actually mastered it, when you know so much more about it, I think it still takes you a long time because you're actually you're doing more with that knowledge. So, you know, years on, I'm able to do a lot of stuff in post-production that I didn't know about a few years ago, but it just means that I end up spending the same amount of hours doing this, and it's not much of a life, really. A few issues that are slightly annoying at the moment. 
on this new desktop. A couple of issues related to the new desktop. Well, three actually. I can't adjust the settings, the display settings on the monitor. And that seems to be, from my research, a common problem with desktops. And I'm spending so many hours now. Well, I always do, really, because, of you know, that's the nature of the work. But the eyesight is so bad now that I'm conscious I really need to get the display. I need to dim it, and I'm not really able to dim it. And uh, also the copy of Microsoft Office that I've got on this desktop, it uh, lapses tomorrow. So I'm now in the situation where I'm finally going to have to subscribe to Microsoft Office, which is really annoying that these days so much software that's out there has to be subscribed to software that years ago would either come with your desktop or that you could buy outright. Now, there is a version of Microsoft Office that you can buy, but it doesn't come with Outlook. Not that I use Outlook, but it would be nice to have the option. You know, I, I still think that uh, Outlook looks so much better than Webmail, and it's so much easier to follow your email if you have Outlook. Having said that, I haven't used it since 2004. But from tomorrow, it's likely that, well, either I buy it outright, which I don't think I'm going to be able to afford right now, or I pay monthly, which works out, of course, more expensive across the year, but it just means then I have to renew it again next year. And this whole idea of taking out another subscription at a time when, I, you know, I'm probably like yourself, I'm bleeding money and I'm finding that I'm in a situation where really having another regular monthly outgoing when I'm trying to keep this roof over my head is not a great idea. I have toyed with the idea of taking the version of Microsoft Office, the legal version, I should add, taking it off the laptop and sticking it on here. And then I think, well, no, because that's going to devalue the laptop. I spent good money on that laptop. It's a good little machine. It's served me well for the last two, two and a half years. And now I'm going to, what, take Microsoft Office off it? No, I'm just going to have to subscribe and I'm going to have to just accept that that is the way of things Nowadays, I thought that I'd be able to use the version of Microsoft Office uh, 2013, thought I'd be able to use it on a second device, and uh, I can't. And that's the case as well with things like Adobe Audition, which I used to have, which I would love to have. So it would help me enormously with, you know, this podcast work. But that's £20 a month, and I just don't have the money coming into the audio work to be able to afford things like that. So I'm always having to either survive and rely on audacity. Feeling quite hot now. I don't know if it's because I'm building my way into this show and I'm getting into it, and that passion is starting to make me sweat a bit under these 10 layers I'm currently wearing or whether I've left the heating on. I don't think the heating's on. So uh, that's the Microsoft Office thing uh, dealt with. I am uh, looking at uh, audio software as well. I'll come to that shortly. Plumber came last week, fixed the leak under the kitchen sink, though, again, that sink historically has got so many problems with it, and he did say that it needs to be replaced and uh, the dripping tap is dripping because the tap needs to be replaced. He said, I can give you some mixers and I can give you a new sink, and he gave me a quote for, I think, £550. That's not doable. I just have to hope that the work he did lasts at least until the end of the year. I mean, this place just needs so much done to it that, you know, even the washing machine's knackered, the oven's knackered, the door is, you know, the door on the oven is busted, the freezer is busted. I mean, that kitchen is just, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that kitchen. I think that's why I'm just happy 
to rely on the microwave to get me through the evenings. This plumber, he started holding court in the kitchen, started talking about football, started talking about what a mess uh, Britain is. You know, he said that he is British, he's from Albania, but he says he has, uh, I'm assuming he has dual nationality, so he's very proud about having a British passport, which is great. And obviously he's, um, you know, he's forged a career. And uh, as he said, and it's something that I read at the weekend, the people who are making money, right now during this lockdown are the people who never went to university you've got a trade it's you know it's the tradesmen who are surviving this you know building work never stops and uh, he was saying what's wrong with your country now i had to point out to him look you know historically you know the blood is spanish yes i was born here and i feel conflicted i'm you know one of those um well i think people would say i'm second generation i've never understood that i'm the first generation to be here growing up in this country that surely makes me first generation i always find that very confusing but we were talking about the whole brexit thing and who's going to do these jobs that a lot of these immigrants do i don't think british people are going to want to do these jobs i don't think they're going to want to be getting up at five or six in the morning to you know take delivery of newspapers take delivery of milk get those shops open early. I don't think they're going to be traveling early to uh, clean the unis and the hospitals. You get on a bus at 4am here in London, or at least before the pandemic, and all you'd see are immigrants going to these very difficult jobs. And, you know, that's a very admirable trait. It's that working class ethic, which I think is probably even stronger when you're working class and working in another country. You know, because it's such a huge challenge to start a new life abroad. And it's a, it's a challenge that I lacked the courage to meet. I, I wish I'd done it. I felt I would have been, you know, complete in that circle that uh, started with my parents coming here 40, 40 or so years ago, longer than that. Yeah, I suspect that I bottled out of that challenge. Let me try and get uh, off this uh, tangent. Anyway, he was here at uh, Tradesman's Crack, of course. So despite uh, the money they're raking in, uh, the money appears insufficient for these guys to have proper belts. And as he was uh, bending over underneath the sink, I got a visual, you know, the, the kind of visual that doesn't really improve your day. But we did the good social distancing. His social distancing, well, his mask wearing in the kitchen was poor. And I think he must have registered alarm in my face a few times because he then kept pulling his mask up. But he had the nostrils out at one point. He had the mask under his chin a la Sam Allardyce and you think nine ten months into this and people still were indoors I made sure that the front room the hallway and uh, the kitchen were ventilated I had the new windows open the worst point was that I put dust sheets down at the front of the flat because I thought he'd only be at the front of the flat and then at one point he asked if he could use the bathroom and I don't know if it was to actually use the bathroom or whether he needed to have a look at the bathroom and hear how the water was running to determine whether he was doing the right thing or had done the right thing in the way that he'd fixed the leak in the kitchen. I don't know what it was. Suffice to say, that bathroom was cleaned within an inch of its life as soon as he left. But it was just disappointing because then I lost two hours with the old shake and vac and the vanish carpet cleaner and hoovering. I mopped the floors after he left and he'd left mud on the wooden floors when he'd come off the dust sheets. And, you know, I kept an eye as he was leaving. He went from holding court in the kitchen because I stepped out of the kitchen. I was in the doorway listening to him being polite. And then I thought, if I 
don't step out of here. This guy's going to stay here another 30 minutes and I've got plenty of stuff to be getting on with and also I'm going to need to clean the flat because he's just walked into the bathroom in his shoes. So I stepped into the front room. He progressed to continue the conversation in the front room, then in the hallway and he was touching all sorts of things and he was leaning on the um he was i think he was leaning on the bedroom door which was closed and so i was just you know i was making a a mental note of everything that he was touching and everything got cleaned afterwards but i'll be pleased if i don't have to have a tradesman round anytime soon because the last few weeks have been quite fraught in that respect you know you don't want people coming into your home right now particularly if they're going to be stepping off the dust sheets in their outdoor shoes. The worst thing was that when we got talking about the football and he said he was a Man U fan and congratulated me when I said I was a Liverpool fan, congratulated me on Liverpool finally winning the title again last year and to my horror gave me a fist bump and he had a typical big fat tradesman's hand and you know I thought well I don't need to worry here because as soon as he's gone I'm just going to you know wash my knuckles, wash the knuckles on the right hand thoroughly gonna not gonna touch my face or anything just don't panic but it made me realize that that contact how alien it feels now never mind that it was a fist bump something that I you know normally horrifies me it was just to have physical contact with someone and I think I was talking about this with Clay Lowe on Trial You Want on Friday night show I heard a, a I think it was a BBC World Service show last week which was talking about the effect that that lack of physical contact is having on all of us now. I mean, even the fist bump, which is something that has never been a part of my life, even now, that is a that feels to me like a relic from a bygone era. And as much as I don't like the fist bump, I think even a high five now would have made me nostalgic for all the high fives I turned down. You just think, okay, I'm low key, I'm an introvert, I don't really like these American type greetings, but. If it wasn't for the pandemic, this would have been a nice moment because here I am. I'm isolating alone. You know, my life every day is the same. And this has been some physical contact, been a nice, decent conversation uh, with a guy, a stranger who's come and, you know, he's been paid. He's, you know, fixed an issue that you have in your kitchen. But then, you know, you've done that thing. You're talking about your experiences. He said something that I'm finding that more and more people are saying now. And he said that he'd stopped watching the news. And when he found out I was a writer, he said, it's your duty to try and write positive things now. Blue sky thinking, because psychologically, we're all being so damaged by this. It's such a difficult situation. You've got to write good news right now. And I was thinking, well, you don't really know me. You know, I don't think that's going to be possible. But I'm hearing that from more and more people that they're turning off the news, that they're not watching the news. In a sense, I avoid the news up until Newsnight, which I watch just, as I've said, on a number of occasions, I just think is a brilliant show. And that is the way I get the news. And I listen to a show 10 in the evenings on uh, 2200 Hours to be consistent. Tom Swarbrick on LBC. I really do think that is a very underrated show on what is a very right-leaning station these days. But... I do get where people are coming from because the news is unremittingly grim right now. And, you know, just before Christmas, we had the news about the vaccine. And I remember this host on the LBC show that I listened to, Tom Swarbrick, 
the night that they were talking about the vaccine coming through. This is just four or five weeks ago, and he felt really positive and jovial. And he said, you know, we need to celebrate this because we're going through we're going through hell. We really need to celebrate this. Why isn't more being made about this? And then, you know, we had the tier four thing not long after. And now we've got this national lockdown and they're talking about stricter measures probably being needed. And here in London, I think some people, I think the penny is finally dropping for people. The streets seem quieter. I was pleased to see Brixton buzz uh, today talking about a farmer's market that I that I know. Obviously, you know what I'm like. I, I don't go anywhere near there, but I have heard from people over the last few weeks just how packed it is even now and this is a farmer's market that's going to be populated that is populated by broadsheet readers these aren't working class kids guys people living on some estate hugely disadvantaged people just trying to make ends meet every day these are the four by four brigade these are the cyclists who can cycle anywhere in london these are the people who are used to having a couple of holidays a year these are the people who might be living in herne hill but dream of moving to dulwich which is about as boring as you can get in south london dulwich village seriously boring and you go to that market and it's just rammed with these gentrifiers and their expensive coffees just chatting and you think this is what educated people are doing. Is it any wonder that we've got this so badly wrong here in England? I, I can't really say the UK because, you know, the Scots are doing far more than we've done it. You know, they might be having, well, they are having their problems up there. But the leadership, the lack of leadership we've had here has led to this chaos, has led to, I mean, I don't know what this is. It's, as the kid said to me in a message last week, it's just surreal. It is surreal. I think... If it was something that you could actually see, if this was the zombie apocalypse, you'd probably feel a bit less confused. You could see the enemy. You can't see this thing. It's just so strange. I think it's the strangest thing we'll all ever deal with. And anything after this that might be strange will not feel strange by comparison. Let me stop moaning. No, I've got on my list other things that I need to, well, not quite moan about, just uh, little small things that I need to get done. I've got a pair of headphones that I need to return. I got an identical pair of headphones sent to me by that uh, online Leviathan because I wasn't sure whether, and there I am now leaning closer to the mic. It's This mic is, the mic arm is too short, so I'm having to lean in, which isn't really comfortable. So I've got a pair of headphones that were sent to me for free so I could try and establish whether the original ones were faulty. They're not. I think it's just down to me trying to get my levels right and maybe getting a mic arm that doesn't have mic droop that allows me to get the mic closer to my mouth. Clay mentioned that maybe I need an omnidirectional mic. I think I've forgotten what mic this is. I don't know if it's a compressor mic. I, I, yeah, I don't know about this stuff. But... I'm not buying a new mic after I've spent almost a couple of hundred pounds on this thing. I've got to get this thing to to be working properly. So I've got a a box of headphones to return to, you know, via the post office. The postage is free. But again, I'm already thinking, well, it's not necessarily an essential trip. So I need to factor this in to a day when I have to be out. That's That's me now being more careful. I've got a glitch on this uh, new desktop screen that's been happening since day one that's getting worse. It's, you know, the screen jumps up and down, predictably being made to jump through all the hoops by the manufacturer before it's replaced. And the guy who built my desktop is the guy who's gone down ill with COVID. 
and I haven't heard from him for a couple of weeks. So I don't have all the information to hand that these guys want. And they also said, you know, you've got to video the issue. I'm not going to sit there, sit here rather, with my phone filming something that happens maybe 8, 10, 12 times a day through the course of an 8 to 10 hour day. You know, that's not practical. And I told them that, but they still said that, oh, we need such and such information. Have you, uh, can you plug in these other cables? Do you? I said, I don't have any spare cables. This is what I've got. I don't have another device I can try this monitor on. Why are you making me jump through all these hoops just for a hundred pounds? If I end up stuck with this monitor and it's looking like I might have to suffer it, well, then I'll just have to buy a new one at some point, which wouldn't be a bad thing because the monitor wobble on this is a bit disappointing. And, you know, this is such a busy road. Traffic can go past. If it's a bus, the monitor will wobble. So it won't necessarily be a bad thing to have to buy another monitor. If I have to lose £100, OK, I'll lose it. But, you know, I will never buy anything again from this manufacturer and I will make that clear to them. I'm also trying to spend a bit more time in this front room, which I rarely do. You know, I work in here, I podcast from here, I eat in here, I play Star Wars football in here, uh, Silver Age Season 5, full of interruptions and, uh, you know, a huge backlog of fixtures. And I'm so tired at the moment that I'm falling further behind with my commitment to meeting those, or rather my obligations to meet in those fixtures. So I do all that in here. I spend the bulk of my time in here because I don't really sleep much, but I rarely relax here in the front room. I think it's, there are too many memories in here that the, the difficult associations I have with living here, most of them are in this room. So I don't really like being here. And I'm trying to tackle that by trying to make an effort to watch TV in here in the way that I used to some years ago. The problem with that is, unless I'm watching the football, it's not possible because there's no freeview. All the channels have disappeared. So I've been jumping through hoops with both BT and freeview. And the issue is actually a freeview issue because there is planned works in this area. So at the end of the day, I live in an area where even though I'm close to the transmitter, the local transmitter, when it's raining or when it's windy, I can't watch any terrestrial channels. That's always been the case. But now I don't have any of those terrestrial channels at all. Inconsistency there on the uh, terrestrial channels and there again. I, you know, I've never been able to work out whether it's terrestrial or terrestrial. I've given you both there. Urinal, 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 urinal. So three of you were telling me via Twitter to run all these various tests. I'm thinking analog TV was so much easier. And the original three of you in the early noughties, once we move past that, I've just... I can't get to grips with setting up TVs and there's nothing I want to watch that badly that I'm prepared to sit there all day trying to retune channels. I made an effort Saturday night and yesterday morning and I couldn't retune anything but six channels in addition to the football channels. And uh, BT confirmed, look, we've checked. It's a Freeview issue. Freeview was saying, well, it's not. And then I finally sent three of you the message, uh, the messages BT had sent me. There's the voice going, which I'd also checked because I'd run my own checks. And the checks on the Freeview page said there are works in this area which are going to affect coverage. And Freeview, the guy at Freeview was saying, no, it's wrong, blah, blah, blah. And in the end, he saw the um, messages from BT. He said, oh, I've checked now. And uh, yeah, that's right. So the work is ongoing until early February. There's going to be periods where you can uh, get one or two of the channels and you know yesterday I think it was ITV2 suddenly appeared which uh, you know 
probably the last station, uh, the last channel I want to view. Having said that, I did sell a show once to ITV too, back in my glory days. And I just thought, you know, I've gone in very argumentative with BT because they were annoying me with their insistence that I was wrong. But I was wrong, and I was wrong because Freeview were maintaining that they were right and BT was wrong when the reverse was true. So in the end, I did the thing that you should do. And I just said to BT, well, they've admitted they were wrong now. I apologize, blah, blah, blah. And uh, BT took it in good spirits. So it just means my efforts to try and have some leisure time in this front room are going to have to be put on hold until all the channels are there because I'm not just going to be in here to watch the football. I can just relax in bed and watch that on the tablet. I didn't relax at all this weekend and I thought I had a script deadline today. I'm so confused with the dates as you might be as well. You know, it's very hard to establish a routine during this lockdown and I just thought yesterday morning, I got up really early. I thought I'd better have a check on that deadline. And it was actually yesterday. Yesterday was the 10th. I thought the 10th was today. I thought it was very unusual to have a deadline on a Sunday. And uh, it took me about seven or eight hours to meet that deadline. Got uh, got the script out. And I felt better for it, despite the fact that it had eaten up my weekend. It was good to meet that deadline. And the thing is about writing, it just reminds me because I don't really get the opportunity to do much of it now. You know, I've got no work coming in. I'm, you know, trying to just trying to survive. And that ongoing battle to survive takes me away from the thing that I'm really good at. And what I realized is even though I'd lost my weekend, the feeling, the the positive feeling I got from getting that script out and just spending time with some of my work, a script that I really like, that I'd love to make in some form or other once we get past this whole virus thing. I've lost my thread now. I lost my thread because I was scratching my nose. This is it. Any little break in my riffs and it's all gone. I think I was talking about, yes, the the positive feeling I got just from spending time with my work. It's not a feeling that I get from doing things like this. It's, you know, like I like doing this part. I'm feeling that I'm doing a good show today. There's not going to be too many gaps in the audio. It should be pretty straightforward editing wise. But it's the post-production side of things and the links, posting the links and, you know, not getting any retweets and all that, all that disappointment that's associated with podcasting, at least for me. You know, that doesn't make me feel good. But to, to work on something that isn't as attritional and that comes more naturally to me, i.e. writing, it just it was a really nice feeling. And I'd love to have more of that in my life. Had a run at lunchtime uh, today, a horrible run. I was wearing lots of layers. I think I was wearing about nine layers. I was wearing a hat. I was wearing gloves. I was wearing my long johns. I was wearing my shorts, two pairs of socks, and my feet were still cold. Even with these brilliantly lined woolly gloves, these are the gloves that actually fell in the street, and they're so good. The wool is so good that when they fell uh, this was three or four weeks ago. I think I spoke about it on the show before Christmas. It was an evening run on the street. I dropped the gloves. They were absolutely soaked. And it was when I had that splinter in my finger and I took that glove off because I thought I'm just going to get this even more infected. But that's the reason I went back for those gloves because I knew they were of a quality that I wouldn't have bought. And if I had to replace them, I was just going to replace them with cheap woolly gloves. But these are gloves that have a double lining 
and my fingers are still numb from those runs. Not still numb now, but they were numb during that run. And it was so cold and I can't get my breathing right when it's that cold. I struggle, as I've said, I struggle in the summer when it's hot. I struggle to run and I struggle when it's this cold in winter and you've got the uh, double whammy to overcome of the, um, you know, the muddy ground. Thankfully, it hadn't rained for a couple of days. So the the uh, the, the grass was uh, wasn't so slippery, although I did run a lot on the pathways i keep passing the asymptomatic testing center and i you know i suspect that i'll be there at some point and it's good to know where it is because i think and i don't know whether it's going to be the same for you of course but i think for me getting tested is going to be a regular thing and at least i think with that asymptomatic testing center you get your results in 30 minutes there'll be none of that business of waiting five days as I had to between Christmas and New Year. Though given I am a very unlucky guy when it comes to these things, I suspect I'll, you know, well, it wouldn't surprise me if I still had to wait five days to get my result. But I just think that, for instance, today, I don't feel great today. I didn't feel great yesterday. And of course, well, you know, I'd say, in fact, I feel worse than I did when I was waiting for those test results when I actually felt good. And that's why I wasn't too worried about those test results. Of course, it could have meant that I was asymptomatic, but I I felt that as long as I isolated, that if the result had come back as positive, the positive for me was, OK, I've had the virus, but I actually feel good. So maybe if I get this again, I'm going to be one of those fortunate people who isn't going to be waylaid by it and I can recover from this. Today, I don't feel that good. It's not that I feel unwell, but I, I, I don't feel as good say, as I did Saturday. And of course, at the back of your mind, you do wonder what you might have. Is it a normal bug? Do we do normal bugs now or do we go from zero to COVID now? It's not to say that I don't believe the vaccines will work when we all get them. You know, there's plenty of clever, very clever people working on these things. For me, it's the actual, how do we get rid of this virus? Does that matter if we are vaccinated and if these vaccines can be tweaked to meet the mutant viruses that arise over the coming years? But it's how do we get rid of this virus that we can't see? I I just don't see how we can. I say that understanding very little about this, but... We can't see it. It's in the air. It's in the wind. How does this thing that we can't see get eradicated? Or is it always going to be around us, but we can live with it because we're going to be vaccinated? It's just, it's, it's several steps away from having to live on this planet with oxygen tanks. It's just such a strange thing. And obviously the vaccines are not going to be 100% protection they're not going to offer you 100% protection and that's why I say I think testing is going to be a, a regular part of our lives for, for many of us I think from now on unless something dramatic happens unless some whatever yeah, it's tailored off let's move on well still on the virus actually I spoke to the space daddy last Thursday night a man who's about 18 19 stone now still taking lifts lives on a third floor on an estate, tiny lift, still taking the lift despite uh, living in the in the pandemic age. He had told me some uh, weeks ago, he'd sent me a text, he'd shooed a girl out who tried to get into the lift with him. This is the most intelligent guy I know, but he has a real blind spot when it comes to his health. He was talking about how he won't wear the mask on the street, but you know he'll obviously wear it in the supermarket and in queues 
But, uh, you know, as far as he's concerned, if you're outdoors, there's less chance of getting it. So he won't wear the mask. But I was saying to him, should you even still be getting lifts now? He lives across the road from Nine Elm Sainsbury's. And to get up to Sainsbury's, he would still take the lift from the ground floor to go up a level. Now he's using the travelator. Obviously, he doesn't want to use the lift. I don't even know if you can use the lifts now in that Sainsbury's, the Nine Elms Monster. Perhaps you can't. But you would have thought that maybe he would have used this opportunity to maybe shift a few pounds by actually taking the stairs. You know, when I go to his place, I only went once, I think, in between the lockdowns. You know, I always take the stairs. It's good exercise. My aunt's uh, place, I think I might have been saying this on Trial You Want on Friday, my aunt lives on the 11th floor and recently one of the lifts has been busted. So I was having to walk 11 floors. I was not going to be getting in a lift with anyone, with any stranger. And, uh, you know, despite being fit, it was certainly difficult the few times I had to do that. Going down 11 floors is just boring and takes forever. Going up is boring, but also, you know, it does tax you quite a bit. But the space daddy told me that um, what he does now on his estate as if it would do anything If no one's looking when he's called the lift and the lift arrives, he then, I think, closes the lift door. I don't know if this is after he's got into the lift, but he'll open it if no one's about, then close it. The idea behind that in his line of thinking is to ventilate the lift just that little bit more as if that's going to make a difference in case COVID is in there. I think that's wishful thinking on his part. I remember actually going back to um, going back to 2012, the place where I met the kid. I can't remember if I've mentioned him today yet. I know that I mentioned, well, I'm going to talk about him a bit later on, on this show. I met the kid in an awful job in Holborn. And Holborn, I think I'm right in saying, has one of the deepest tunnels on the whole London Underground network. So the escalators are really, really deep. And when I first started walking up those escalators, when I first started in that job, I'd be wheezing by the time I got to the top. And then within weeks of doing that, it was a, it was a, you know, a regular habit every morning. You know, it was fine. It's amazing how these things can just build up your fitness. Every little bit of exercise counts. I think that's what I always told myself. I was listening to a show on the count today, you know, Bram Stoker's creation, whose name I cannot utter, such as my fear of that undead creature. And, you know, to the extent that, I mean, that book has affected me to the extent that I can't see red and black together, which is a problem when my current notebook is black, but with a red trim on the cover. It's just perhaps that explains why I don't like Manchester United particularly when they wear those black shorts that they often wear when they play away from home and keep their uh, their red shirt. I just don't like that combination of red and black. But uh, this particular show on the count, it was a decent podcast. Somewhat disappointingly, if not remarkably, neither host had read the original book, which I think was poor, really, because I don't know how you can be an authority on talking about the Count without reading the book, which remains the greatest piece of work on that character. That said, though, there was some interesting stuff, well, funny stuff, I think, on Sesame Street's version of the Count, which was obviously based on Bella Lugosi. 
And that character came in during the fourth season of Sesame Street. And I use the word season there because it's an American show and therefore I can justify use of season. Anyway, I've said before on here that even that version of The Count, that puppet version of The Count, unsettled me as a kid. Really unsettled me. You know, when there'd be that thunderclap when he'd say, I'd love to count. And apparently Sesame Street producers were told to make The Count less dark early on in his involvement with the show because it was felt that he was too scary for a kid's show. Personally, I don't think they scaled him back enough because, you know, anything with the Count, including the Count in Sesame Street, it's something that uh, always unsettled me. Having said that, though, some very funny stories about some of the Sesame Street sketches involving the Count, who, of course, was obsessed with counting. And there was one sketch where... He employed Ernie, as in Bert and Ernie, to, I don't know, to be his PA. And Ernie had to answer the phone all the time. But in the end, he wasn't allowed to answer the phone because the count had to count all the rings, which I thought was very clever. And there was also a sketch involving the count and Kermit. And Kermit was in a lift with the count. I don't know if the count was working as a busboy in a hotel. I don't know what was going on or whether the, both of them were going to the same place. But Kermit couldn't get off on the floor that he wanted to because the count had to count every single floor in that building as the lift went up and he wouldn't let Kermit get out. I think that's just... Uh, that's as funny as some of the old Fleetway comic strips, which were just farcical at times. Uh, I'm thinking of the Bumpkin Billionaires who, when they won, I think, the lottery, and this is, you know, in the 70s or 80s when we didn't even have a national lottery, they won the lottery, they bought themselves a big house. The house was so big that they stopped interacting with each other. They'd be in the same room, but the rooms were so big they couldn't even hear what the other person was saying. It was, I think, on a level with that. Anyway, I've almost missed what I was going to say about this, which wasn't much, just an observation on, I think, that business about the count... That was it. That, that's why I wanted to talk about the count. It was just a little observation that I had that came into my head as I was thinking about this. Um, well, as I was listening to this podcast today and they were talking about, you know, the whole shape shifting thing and, um, you know, the, the, the ways in which he could be killed, not just a stake. I think in the end they said he was actually in the Bram Stoker book. I don't know if that's true, that he was killed with a knife. I can't remember that. But as I was listening to that, just in my head cropped this observation when they were talking about the count needing to sleep in a coffin lined with the soil of his homeland with my ocds that's the bit i think that would have put me off being a vampire i think you know imagine being in a coffin lined with some soil especially if it was uh you know from some well-known park in uh, lambeth that uh, people inexplicably love Episode 303, Daniel Ruiz Tyson, is available. Let me give you a time check. 16.50 hours. It's a late one today. Do follow this work on Twitter and Instagram at 1607westegg, facebook.com forward slash DRT available. Find all the work at com. There are PayPal and coffee.com links on there with each show. If you would like to make a donation to support this work, please know that all donations come directly into this work to support all the podcasting work. And the website is Daniel Ruiz Tyson. 
Com. Do please rate, review and subscribe to the show on whichever platform you use, especially Apple Podcasts, Stroke iTunes, and not just a, a rating, a review as well, because just having a rating, that doesn't show up on the Apple Podcast Store. It does need the effort of a, uh, of a review, he said, tripping over his words. Most importantly, the best way to support this work is via the Patreon page. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash DRT available your support is greatly appreciated and to all those currently supporting the patron page and there aren't many but that support is appreciated i spoke to my aunt last night well i spoke to my uncle initially i'd called i think it was after 1900 hours i'd had some uh, jam and butter on toast as i just wasn't feeling that hungry yesterday my aunt was upstairs so i was on the phone to my uncle for a while when my aunt finally came on the line uh, she opened with, I was in the toilet, which, uh, you know, I'd guess, but, you know, I didn't need the confirmation. I don't need to have those conversations. At some point every day, whoever you speak to, at some point in that day, everyone's going to have been in there. But it doesn't need to be mentioned in a conversation. Her toilet mentions lately have become more prevalent, and I guess that's because of the lockdowns. There's less to do, so she probably spends more time in there. And I was thinking all of this as she told me that she'd been in the loo, and I think she must have picked up on the fact that my mind was whirring a bit as she mentioned the loo, and she quickly added, no, I wasn't doing anything. Well, if you weren't doing anything, I thought, then you don't need to preface most of your conversations with, I was in the toilet. This never used to happen. I don't need to know it reminds me of the kid there's the throat again reminds me of the kid when i first met him just weeks before this show launched in late 2012 long-time listeners might recall the kid would always start his stories with hey daniel i was in the shower and until one day i realized the shower part of his anecdotes weren't critical to the story and this we established through a lengthy dialogue one afternoon, and I pointed this out to him. And for the last few years, to be fair, he rarely starts with the shower mentioned. So my aunt and I were chatting, and, you know, usually we're just talking about the virus. She'll just say, uh, it all sounds really bad. And we were watching El Rubio, that's what they call Boris Johnson, El Rubio, the blonde, watching him on the news, blah, blah, blah. And... She was, uh, yeah, we were talking about the vaccines. I think she's getting her second dose. Her and my uncle are getting their second dose tomorrow. And I was trying to be positive. I said, you never know. You know, this this second vaccine, this might buy you another 20 years. You know, you and my uncle could be arguing with each other every day until 2040. And my aunt said, oh, I'd love that. That would be nice if we were arguing for another 20 years. And I heard my uncle in the uh, background I'll have to have a think about that. He wasn't so convinced that would be a good thing. On the uh, reading front, I finished Jim Eldridge's Murder at the Manchester Museum. Not a brilliant book, but uh, I've read the whole series. I'm a, I'm a loyal reader. This is a guy who was selling sitcoms in the early 70s, and he's recreated himself admirably as a writer of crime fiction. It's not work that's pulling up any trees, but he's sold over three million books now. And, you know, I admire that in any writer. He's making a living. I'm not. And uh, I will read the next book in the series as well, which I think it's set in the Natural History Museum. 
Now reading Mike Gale, All the Lonely People, going to be a difficult read in the sense that it's a hardback and, uh, you know, I'm not a hardback guy, as you know. There's something about Mike Gale's work that pulls you in. He tells familiar stories, but he tells them in the way that can sometimes move you. And again, he's a writer I've grown to admire because he's a writer who's managed to carve out a career as a writer. And I think that's very admirable because that's not and never has been an easy thing to do. As for the title, All the Lonely People, that is very apt. I'm only 30 pages in and already I guess it's a bit uncomfortably close to my own life. Got some football reading too because I've got two interviews at least on that front this week for the new football show. One book which I'm really enjoying, well enjoying in that it's informative and you know I just like reading about some of these old players but the font is inexplicably tiny. That's nothing to do with my um, eyesight decline. It's just... It's hard to believe that a font could be so small. I don't understand uh, the logic behind it. Maybe, you know, maybe it was uh, uh, for budgetary reasons, keep the page count down. I think the only thing I dread with doing these interviews is that I have to use Zoom or Skype as I have to in one case this week. And I was testing Skype out last week with a chin just to see what I could do my end with the mixer and whether I'd be able to fix the levels because Skype is even worse than Zoom. But it's doable, so that interview will go ahead. I, I'm just learning that if a guest doesn't have a mic, you know, there you go, you can hear my dismay because I had that situation last week. It took four days to fix last week's episode, and that included a mix down from Clay Lowe, which I really appreciated, and thank you to him for doing that because without that, it probably would have taken five or six days. It was done, that interview was done the day before the building work started last month, so I wasn't in the best frame of mind. If you heard those uh, final shows leading up to episode 300, you'll know what a traumatic time that was for me. And that was a very difficult interview for me to do because, you know, I'd had a meltdown and I had to try and be professional during the interview. But the interview lasted two hours. It was a, it was a long one. The technical issues were so bad really really bad and uh, I listened to guys who are obviously technically far better than me with equipment but even then for example I was listening to uh, the unexplained last night uh, Howard Hughes's uh, live show and with the zoom interviews you'll hear the connections drop in it's so unreliable zoom you're a hostage to fortune so much depends on your wi-fi connection their wi-fi connection and when it goes wrong it's horrible so that's the bit that makes me a bit uh, wary about doing these interviews, not just because, well, you don't know. The interview might be going well, but at this stage, I'm thinking, well, I hope that it sounds OK. Otherwise, I've got so much work to do and I've got the Zoom H8, but I've not learned how to use that yet. I'm actually going to write that down again today. I think I've written it down about 20 times in the last couple of weeks. It's typical of me. I spent £350 on equipment. This one item, three hundred and fifty pounds, and I've still not used it. I, I, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna have to. There you go. I'm stammering all over the place. I'm gonna have to start watching some YouTube videos to do this because that's insurance against uh, Zoom issues. And uh, there was a couple of weeks ago where John Jacob, the host of Thoroughly Good, absolutely saved my bacon. There was an interview that I'd, um, I thought I'd lost, and he sent me a YouTube link. I don't know if I mentioned this two or three shows ago sent me a YouTube link, which I've saved, which tricks Zoom into recovering your interview. And that was that was really good that to know that that worked because I've kept making the same mistake with Zoom interviews because I find it very awkward to end them. So 
I'd been waiting. I was still recording when I would say goodbye to the guest and then I'd end the meeting for all. And oh, I can't remember what I was doing. Either way, the interview wasn't saving properly and I was always having issues recovering it. I've, I've nailed that now, but I, you know, it's something that I need to be mindful of. And I've just also realized that, oh, sorry, I've just hit the mic arm there. That's what you've heard. The password for my Zoom, it keeps falling off the monitor. There you go. Stuck that back on the monitor. No work coming in right now, so not really a time where I can afford to be spending four days to get a show out that's had really poor downloads, had poor downloads really because you don't release a show at the weekend. You know, people got things to do at the weekend. So you're almost throwing a show away by releasing it on a Saturday or even a Sunday. And, you know, of course, it was spectacularly derailed by that building work. The idea was for the new show to be monetized right away. I think it can be monetized, but that plan has definitely been significantly derailed and it's going to take a while to get it on track. I have some ideas, but I'm just so harassed right now with everything that it's hard to get some clear thinking time to to work on a strategy, to nail down that strategy and, and, and work towards it. The windows, they have been disappointing. One. I still feel the flat is very cold, but also just from a noise point of view, they've had no impact on traffic sound. So I've had to learn a few tricks on audacity, which I've even done with this show. And, and that I learned as a result of last week's show, which had loads of static on it. It was my earliest record since this show returned with episode 201 in the autumn of 2019. And it was unusable. It was just static throughout. And I did some research in and I found this thing that basically said, if you're living on a noisy, if you live in a noisy area, what you do is you record five, six seconds before you start actually speaking and record that noise. In my case, this, you know, the, the, the traffic noise. So I might leave the I might leave audacity recording, say, for about 30 seconds and then I'll stop it. And then I'll choose five or six seconds of the noisiest audio. And I save that. And then I start recording from the end of that noisy audio. And what I do afterwards is when I finish it, I, I save the audio as I always do. But I highlight that opening six seconds of noise. I get the noise profile from that noise. And then I select the actual proper show, not the first six seconds of the noise. I, I select the proper show, whether it's 30, 40 minutes, this show is going to be a long one today. I will select all of this show, all of this recording, and then I do a noise reduction. And so because it's got that noise profile from the first six seconds and knows that I'm recording on a particularly noisy road, it will factor that in and it will clean up the audio to an extent. Of course, it's not going to eliminate a police siren, but it will help a lot. And those are little tricks, all that, uh, that car horn that you probably heard there. So these are little things I'm working on. When I contacted uh, the presenter, who's a big uh, mic enthusiast and you know knows all about the hardware that you need for these things, Howard Hughes, the presenter, he recommended I get a, um, a noise gate. They're quite pricey. And as Clay Lowe pointed out, do I want another bit of hardware that I'm going to struggle to get to grips with? Uh, the answer is yes, probably. I, I, I think I'd rather have that um, well, I'd rather have that because I have an issue in terms of I can't find the equivalent for Audacity, which is a, a bit of a, 
a problem. I've downloaded a C3 multiband compressor, which is what I need, which is how Clay Lowe basically saved episode four of When Shorts Were Short. And I'd like to use something similar in Audacity. And there is a plugin on Audacity. Well, there is a plugin facility, but I can't get that multiband compressor, which I've downloaded. I can't get it into Audacity. I can't see it when I go into add stroke remove plugins. I've tweeted about it. And uh, I know from forums it can be tricky to pull off. And it's the one thing I think is really missing for me from Audacity. It might be that I need to revisit Ableton. I'd love to have, uh, you know, Adobe Auditions, but that's uh, £20 a month. Unless, you know, I'm going to find another four patrons, I don't think uh, that's going to happen anytime soon. Breakfast update, mainly on a run of toast at the moment. Certainly the last four or five days, perhaps longer. There might have been, I think, one appearance for crackers in the last eight days. That's about it. I think that might be tied into the fact that I've got, well, I got full fat. I can't believe it's not butter because I couldn't find the lighter equivalent. And that is definitely harder to spread. So I know that if I start spreading that on crackers, there's going to be breakages regardless of how lightly my how light my uh, buttering technique might be. So I think subconsciously that's probably pulled me away from the crackers until I finish that butter, which isn't going to be uh, this week. Had two lots of toast yesterday as calzone Saturday was an absolute beast. That pizza was more packed than the flat I once viewed in Tooting, where I caught a glimpse of eight guys sleeping in the one room. As I left the flat, I was just viewing with the lettings agent. It's something I documented on a very early episode of this show when I was flat hunting, as I always seemed to be in those early years. It was a real shocking visual. For me, so uh, certainly for this week, I expect toast to be the dominant uh, breakfast choice. Let me give you my nectar points uh, for last week. Nectar update: I spent, I did three shops last week, all in one afternoon, all in one trip. By the way, I wasn't coming back and going out again. But I think next, well, I think this week I won't be able to do that again because I had five bags to carry and it's one of the few instances where I just thought, oh, I wish I could drive. Not really thinking, well, how much would that have cost me parking-wise and petrol-wise to be doing that, to drive to the shops one afternoon. So, um, you see, previous points, I'd gone in there with 492, didn't earn many points, just five points. Came out with a points balance of 497, worth £2.48, so three points short of the magic 500 mark. So not only did I not get that, achieve that by Christmas, I've still not achieved that by the uh, by the second week of January. Had to buy another Dishmatic handle for washing up, couldn't find uh, replacements. So that's a bit disappointing because I'd rather just have the one and then have a regular roster of uh, replacements. You can get three for about 175, but obviously they're popular. So I had to buy a brand new handle that just comes with one sponge. So that's something I'll need uh, to resolve. And I'm sitting on about six pints of semi-skimmed milk, which I'm not sure will be enough to get me through the week if I... um. If I have porridge one lunchtime, which, you know, porridge tends to make about one appearance a week on my lunches. It may be that uh, right now I'm laying off the porridge so I can limit my uh, excursions to the shops. It was a difficult afternoon working my way back from the shops, all three shops. I was loaded with shopping bags. The rucksack was full. That was weighing down on my back. And then I had four shopping bags, really heavy. And I thought this is worse than running, especially when I was 
struggling with the bags uphill. And I live across the road from the park. And it was coming up to about 1,700 hours. And I got to my gate. It was locked. Went to the next nearest gate about 30 seconds away. That was locked too. And I thought, you've got to be joking me. Now, I know that normally the gates close around 1,600 hours right now. But there have been times in the last few weeks, even though it's been dark, where the gate across the road has been left open. They haven't got around to closing it before 1,800 hours. And you think, well, that, you know, that should be closed because who wants to go into a park that has no lighting unless you go into your yoga class at the other end of the park, which, of course, is lit up for the gentrifiers. You know, you don't want to be going into the park, into a, a, a South London park when it's not even lit up. I had to walk all the way around again to one of the two gates that are open on the far side of the park. And it's a big park. And I was struggling so much with the bags. I had to stop on a park bench. I didn't sit down on it, but I put all my bags on the bench. And that is very unlike me. I I can't remember when I've ever done that before. So I had to make a mental note to uh, wet wipe, you know, antibacterial wipe the bottom of those bags before they go back into the cupboards. And in the end, it defeated the whole point. The The idea of, well, you know, shopping in Brixton was that I avoided using the buses. And in the end, I had to get a bus home because I'd gone from being just 20 seconds from my flat to being about a 10, 15 minute walk away from the flat with five bags. I need to think that through properly next time. I just need to accept that rather than going out on the one day, if I'm going to, you know, several shops, which I will be, you know, to save money, I'm going to have to make one trip on the Thursday and another on the Friday. I can't go to two or three shops in the one afternoon because that's just uh, madness and it's tiring. And that is it. That is the end of this week's show. Episode five of When Shorts Were Short, hopefully out by the end of this week, hoping to avoid another weekend release downloads. uh, Downloads wise, as I touched on a few minutes ago, I was instantly reminded of why in 11 years of doing this, I've largely avoided Saturday releases. Downloads and uh, shares and retweets have just been uh, minuscule, even more minuscule, actually, with the number of listeners for Friday's Trial You Want which was a shame because it's good fun. Right now it's basically Clay Lowe and I getting together on Mixcloud Live every Friday night at 8pm for uh, for an hour and a half or a little longer. And basically what we do is essentially a show for uh, Gemma in Canada. And all that remains for me to say is get those shoulders back, keep on walking towards the sun, keep washing those hands. I'm Daniel Ruiz-Tyson and this start of the week I have been available. 